Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Much better. Just about the time that we think we're in control, technology reminds us we are not. So this morning we're having some issues with the screens. I would encourage you, if you would like, to take a hymn book in front of you there and turn to hymn number two, Holy, 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 in case the words do not come on the screen. And if you are comfortable doing so, please stand as we begin, Holy, Holy, Holy. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. You are holy, and Father, you are the only one that deserves our praise and glory. And I ask that today that you would speak boldly to us, and that, Father, we will have prepared ourselves to hear from you, both in song, in prayer, through your scripture, Father, through your word. I pray 
that we would hear and we would respond. To you be all glory and praise forever and ever. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Now, welcome to worship at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. It is so good to see you. And if today is the very first time that you have been here, we'd love for you to take the guest card in the pew in front of you, fill it out its entirety. And when you leave, there are offering boxes at every exit. Just drop it in there. We would certainly appreciate that because we'd like to extend a welcome this week. I would like to continue to sing. I bet everybody else would too. Let's, let's worship, okay? Our next three hymns are not in the hymn book edition that you have in the pew rack in front of you, but perhaps you know most of the lyrics already. How Majestic Is Your Name, followed by Awesome in This Place, and then I Want to Be More Like You. How majestic is your name in all the earth? O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? O Lord, we praise your name. O Lord, we magnify your name. Prince of peace, mighty God. Past the gates of praise into your sanctuary, through standing face to face. I look upon your countenance, I see the fullness of your grace. I can only bow down and say, You are awesome in this place, mighty. are as I come into your presence past the gates of praise into your sanctuary till we're standing face to face let's sing it as I come into your presence past the gates of praise into your sanctuary till we're standing face I look upon your countenance look upon your I see the fullness of your grace. I can only, I can only bow down and say you are awesome.
Next two hymns are in the hymn book you have in front of you, 478 and then 472. 478 and 472. Seek ye first. with Jesus he has done so much for me but the question comes to me is he satisfied with me let's see
scripture reading for today is from Psalm number 30, excuse me, 63, verses 1 through 8. May we be blessed by the reading of these verses. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your glory and power. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings of the sharing of this scripture and these words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. 
Great job, choir. If you have your scriptures, I would encourage you to turn to the uh, 63rd chapter of Psalms. We're going to be working through that passage this morning. Carol, I appreciate you uh, reading that passage wherever you went. There you are. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been obsessed about anything? Oh, I guess that's a yes. <laughs> I would assume through the course of our lives that uh, we have found some kind of obsession. We, we see it in the media. There are people that are obsessed with celebrities, so much so that they might even stalk them and obviously arrest it. Um, there are people that are obsessed with their phones. It's just always right there, or they can't really look at you because they're looking at their phone, or you can't have a conversation with them uh, around dinner or somewhere because they're always out. And, uh, and probably some of us, uh, not, not probably a lot of us, but some of us here probably, that's, uh, that it takes up more time than it should. I know on my phone, it, uh, it always tells me how much time I spent on it this, you know, during the week looking at, uh, at emails or responding. I do a lot on my phone, but I always monitor that to make sure that, uh, that it's just not always, always on. But obsession, um, there can be very negative impact of that, and there can be positive. Obsession is defined a persistent, disturbing preoccupation with an often unreasonable idea or feeling. That's how the dictionary defines obsession. Uh, obviously, uh, some of you are really excited about the Super Bowl upcoming a week from today. It brings us to the NFL, and I was reading this week about the, uh, uh, the NFL team Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, who I used to, to cheer on, you know, back when I was in Florida. They have been trying to recoup monies that were wagered and lost by a former mid-level finance manager to FanDuel. I don't even want to ask if any of you know these groups, if you know what I mean. FanDuel Fantasy and Sports Betting Services. Evidently, Amit Patel pleaded guilty in December of using the Jaguars' virtual credit card on betting. He did this over a three and a half year period and he lost over 20 million dollars. Now how does a football team not know? <laughs> that probably tells you something. So they're trying to recoup funds that were lost by this individual who had access to that unlimited virtual credit card. He could serve up to 30 years in prison he could be fined up to a half a million dollars, and he told the court that he had a gambling disorder. Some would define that as a persistent, disturbing preoccupation with an often unreasonable idea or feeling. In essence, obsessed with gambling. So there can be negative aspects of being obsessed about something. At the same time, there's a positive side to obsession. One expert stated, dedicating all your attention and energy to a discipline is the only way to achieve mastery over it. 
And this sort of single-minded determination towards an object of interest isn't bad at all, and in fact, it's desirable. Why? Because there's a positive outcome. There's a discipline that you are trying to focus in on. You're concentrating. Let me tell you, and you probably know this well, sometimes God is all in the world that you have. There probably have been times in your life, and maybe one is now, where you feel like that everybody has abandoned you. You feel like that nobody is on your side. You feel kind of lost. And when this happens, you need to be obsessed with God alone. Not about what's happened or is happening or those who have fallen away, but you need to have your obsession about God. And I think that might be one of the issues that sometimes we have as believers. We have Christ as our Savior. And some days we have him as our Lord. But he is a component of our life, but not necessarily totally involved in every decision and every aspect of our life. In other words, we're not obsessed by him. And yet, you know what? He is obsessed by us. Because he desires fellowship with us. Why else would he send the most precious of gifts to us in the form of his son Jesus Christ. He loves you that much. And so I think we need to step back and we think, need to think about the focus of God is all that you have. The psalmist expresses this as obsession with meeting and knowing God in an intimate way. In the 63rd Psalm, it's been called the soul of the Psalms. The earliest church used to sing it every single morning as a part of their worship. And I think it would probably be good for us to do that in our personal worship as well. You see, sometimes circumstances leaves us with nothing in the world but God alone. And we see that as a bad thing in reality. It's probably not all that bad. David had been betrayed by his own son. He had been exiled from his throne. He had been humiliated in the desert. Once this king, mighty and a warrior, was now on the outs, discouraged, not knowing which direction to go. And out of that experience, he expressed his desire for God alone. And I think every single believer should crave such a relationship with the living God. So how do we do that? Well, three things I want to address with you. Number one, when God is all that you have, seek him. Do you have a passion for God? David reveals an overwhelming passion for God himself. In this passage, he gives us an understanding of how he felt and what he did about that. 
And I think we should mold our approach to God after that of David's. He sought God not for anything that God could do for him, but rather he sought God because God was worthy to be sought after. So how do we seek him? I think we need to seek him with intensity. In verse 1 of Psalm 63, David pins the words, or he writes, Earnestly I seek you. Over the last uh, month, we have talked about, I did on a couple of Sundays, and, and Dr. Frizzell did as well, that focus of the word earnestly in the scriptures that we have been using. It talks about a passion. It just, it's not like, well, I just, I sought for you, but there is a sense of passion about it. It is an understanding that the psalmist combines the thoughts of, of earliness and eagerness in his quest for God. He says, earnestly, I seek you. I move everything out of the way. I, I clear my calendar. I postpone everything that I have because I am earnestly seeking you, God. Not what you can do for me, not to give you all the requests that I have, but I want time just with you. David's words, as the verse goes on, thirst and long. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you with my whole being. It longs for you. That term thirst and, and, and long, it suggests a condition just short of fainting in the presence of God. What does that mean? It means that he yearns for him so much. He thirsts for him. Have you ever been at that point when you were about to faint? That degree? Two times while I was on dialysis, uh, my levels dropped. And I will never forget the times when I just about, right before I went out, and it is the most excruciating thing that I have probably been through. And at the same time, it gives me great insight into what he's saying. It's, it's, it's trying to hold on and trying to, to keep awake and trying to do everything you can. And it's that idea that I, I thirst so much. And, and if I don't get that drink of water, if I don't get that relationship with God, if, if I don't have that connection with God, I'm just going to fall over. That's the kind of quest it is suggesting. And so is there anything approaching that kind of intensity that David had in your quest for God? Is that how you go and seek him? Whether on a daily basis or, or a weekly basis or even a monthly basis, do you have that kind of a passion and desire that says, God, I must be with you? So seek him with intensity. Also seek him with totality. In the second part of, verse, uh, of chapter 63, verse 1, he says, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. David has this concept of soul and body, that together they are craving for God. If you take them together, it means the whole being, the essence of who we are. 
it's just not our mind. It's, it's our soul. It's everything. You see, there's nothing about us that should show satisfaction to us except for God. Our emotions, our reason, our will, our, our physical body through which all of these things act should crave for the living God. Every part of our being, our total self, needs to crave for God. And that's what David said in the midst of his loneliness when he was symbolically by himself, thrust away from what God had said, you will be the king. And it was in that time. And he said, God, I'm going to seek you with intensity. I'm going to seek you with totality. And then we should seek him out of necessity. He said in the latter part of verse 1, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Well, we kind of live in that land. <laughs> we... we are blessed to have an aquifer under, under the Phoenix in this area, and we're blessed to have some rivers around, but we understand the desert. And uh, every time I go to the airport to pick up somebody that, uh, that is coming from out of state, I always carry a bottle of water with me, <laughs> give it to them right up. I, I, you need to drink all of this before we get to our location, okay? <laughs> we understand that idea of dry and parched. But he's using this beautiful symbolism of saying, listen, if I don't have you, God, I don't have anything. The imagery of a life that is parched and dry with no other way to bring satisfaction. That's what David understood when he's writing this psalm. When he's going through a very difficult time in his life. He considered himself like a desert in need of water from God. The greatest necessity of our life is our confrontation with God. And I don't mean a confrontation in a way of, of trying to debate with him, but it's that time of, of fellowship, of, of being able to ask God the hard questions, God, why is, why is this happening? At the same time, understanding that he's the one who gives our comfort and care. Understand that, that ultimately he's the one that matters and he's going to take care of us no matter how dry and parched it is, he's the one who's going to provide hope and encouragement to us. What he wants is for us to have that intimacy with him no matter how the world is treating us and no matter the circumstances of the world. Sometimes we just get caught up in the world and this life and we forget that this life is going to come and it's going to go. And it's not about what we uh, accumulate here, because that will go too. But it's about our relationship with God, our, our fellowship and the deepening relationship that will be eternal, that ongoing intimacy with Him. So, when God is all you have, seek Him. Secondly, when God is all you have, remember Him. And remember Him in your, in your times of worship or your worshipfulness. In verse 2 he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. A significant statement. Because 
We need high moments with God in the sanctuary for us to recall in life's later moments. We need to be able to reflect back on these intimate times with God in the sanctuary, whether it be this worship center or whether it be in a, in a room that you are worshiping God at some point in the past, wherever that sanctuary is for you, you need to be able in the, the desert times of your life to recall and say, oh, I remember this. <coughs> Why is that? Because it's those times that give us hope. It is those times that encourage us to remember. Remember that time. And all of a sudden it changes our demeanor. And that's what David is trying to get across. He was exiled and he was alone. And David could remember gazing over the things of God in the sanctuary in Jerusalem. And it gave him hope. He didn't say, oh, those were the days. Rather, there was a sense of hope that I will be back there. And I think it gave him hope because he remembered that I met God there. It wasn't necessarily the place or the instruments, maybe not even the message, but it was I met God there. And God is the one who satisfies me. I think that such sanctuary moments sustained him in the desert. And those are the very things, when life seems to be crashing in on us, that we need to hold on to and to understand and to remember. They will sustain us in the most difficult and challenging times of our life. I think it also tells us that we need to remember him in our wakefulness. In verse 6, David says, On my bed, I remember you. I think you of you through the watches of the night. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. At night, when sleep fails, or fear stalks us, we need to make sure and remember God. What do you do when you have insomnia? Or you have this sudden awakening at night and you can't go back to sleep? There's a reason for it, I'm sure. What do you do? Well, David, in the midst of his situation, as desperate as it was, he says, listen, on my bed at night and all through the night, when I can't sleep, when I have everything going on and things seem so negative and so heavy upon me and I don't know which way to turn, you are the one that I think of. David became so engrossed with the thoughts of God's goodness that he recalled them through the night. And that sustained him. When we're lonely, when we're anxious, 
We need to fill our mind and we need to fill our soul with God's goodness. And the reflection of things past and the word that he has given us and the time spent alone with him, even in the wee hours of the morning when we can't sleep. These are the times. So, when God is all that you have, seek him and remember him. And then last, when God is all you have, praise him. <laughs> you know, if we look, we will discover many, many reasons to praise God, no matter what's happening in our life. Sometimes we just put them out of our, out of our mind, or sometimes... Uh, we allow Satan to move them into our memory banks that don't seem to pop up so readily. <laughs> but there are a lot of reasons to praise God, no matter what we're going through in the realm of health, our finances, our relationships. We should praise him because of his spiritual care. We can praise God because of his effect, uh, uh, affection. The scripture says in verse 3, because your love is better than life, David says. He talks about the love of God when he is in the midst of his darkest time. And he says, because your love is better than life. Now, we all know that life is hard. But there's some good times in life, too, right? God's love is above all of that. He says it's better than life. So we can praise God because he loves us. And he's shown that love in so many different ways. We can also praise God because of the sense of spiritual satisfaction in our life, in our spiritual life. A number of years ago, I was privileged to have my father-in-law bring or take me to a place uh, in Orlando um, called the uh, Brazilian de Texas, I think. It's a Brazilian steakhouse. And uh, we walk into that place, and their salad bar is huge. Every other aspect, I mean, you just name it, they have it. But, you know, Mr. Klein and I both like meat. Okay, so we wanted to eat the meat. So we went past the salad bar that will fill you up, and past all the other sides that will fill you up, and we sat down, and they brought skewer after skewer of all kinds of meat, and they would just cut it right at your plate there. You just ate as much as you wanted to. It was the most incredible time. <laughs> it wasn't cheap, but it was good. <laughs> Physically, when we left there, we were satisfied. Spiritually, the scripture tells us that we have been satisfied with a rich and scrumptious feast. He says in verse 5, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. God brings those wonderful memories back to us. 
He brings us memories that not only reminds us in these difficult times to worship him, but also to praise him, to understand his love, but also the spiritual satisfaction that he gives us, that nothing else on earth and no other person on earth can give us. We can praise him also for his protection. Uh, we enjoy a living protection from the one who really responds to our needs like living under the shadow of mighty wings, as verse 7 says. David said, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. He's able to sing to praise God because of God's almighty care, the shadow that he brings over him. He satisfies him no matter what else is going on in the world. No matter if anybody cares or not about you, he does. We have a strong protection of the almighty hand who is, as we are holding on to him and clinging to him, has us firmly in his grip. Verse 8 says, I cling to you, and your right hand upholds me. <clears throat> the question is, are you actually holding on to him in the times of difficulty and darkness? He promises to take care of you. David said, yeah, I cling to you. But I already understand that your right hand is upholding me. You have me, and you always have had me, no matter what. Not only should we praise him because of, of the spiritual benefits that he gives us and how he satisfies us spiritually, but we should praise him in the physical dimension as well. Our responses announce the praise of God. It's just not in our mind and, 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 and verbally we say, oh yes, we praise God. And it's not just about us coming together as a congregation. But the reality is how we respond to God in our life, it speaks volumes. Our actions speak volumes. The way we physically do things in that physical dimension, it announces and it expresses our praise to God or our lack thereof. Repeatedly, David was vocal in that physical dimension about God. He said, I lift up my praise to you. Singing, shouting, lauding the goodness of God with our lips is an appropriate response. And you say, wait a second, preacher. <laughs> I got the singing part because we sing. We lift up our voices but I would always want you to check and see. Okay, you're singing the songs, whether it be on the screen or whether it be in the hymn book, you're singing the, the words of the songs, but are you singing them because you know them out of uh, meaningless repetition? Or do they mean something to you when you lift them up to the audience of one who is God? And only individually can we search our soul there. We talk about the goodness of God and how good he is, but how is that 
expressing itself through the things that we do. Shouting, singing, shouting, lauding the goodness of God, shouting. We don't have too many shouters in here. You remember the old days when, when the, there would be about three or four or five deacons back there and say, Amen, brother! <laughs> do you remember that? He, did, did you go to a church that did that? Yeah, yeah I did. I did. I don't hear that much anymore. I don't, well, you, you know what I was going to say anyway. But let me, let me tell you, not just emotionalism, but the praise that we have for God needs to be expressed in some physical way with our voice, with our, our singing, our shouting though, it is told to me that my great-grandmother was a Baptist shouter. You don't hear too many Baptist shouters, you know? And she, from, from, from what my dad would say, man, she'd be back there and she'd just be shouting away, praising God. While the preacher's preaching. What an affirmation. Some people call it a distraction. No, we got to be quiet. we got to be silent. It's sacred. Sometimes we have said that so much at that solemn time that we actually feel God moving in our life, but we have no outlet for it, and it is frustrating. And we have tried to put a lid on that. Now, I'm not saying go crazy. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is letting God speak through you, through your voice, through singing. If you want to shout, you shout. But focus upon the goodness of God. The appropriate response is not what your neighbor thinks you ought to do when God is speaking to you. It's what you think is right before you and God that is not disruptive, but adds to the entirety of worship. Or if you're by yourself, just go at it. <laughs> Let God speak through you. In verse 4, he says, In your name I will lift up my hands. This is an outward symbol of an uplifted heart. I have people ask me all the time, Usually when they're thinking about joining the church, I don't see many people raising their hands or their arms here. Is it okay to do that? I said, of course it's okay to do that. Ever so often we'll have somebody do it. It's really noticeable when the choir does it. <laughs> but it's not for show. There's, there's no mechanical part of this that says, well, if I lift my hands up, then all of a sudden I'm holier. I can reach out to God closer. That's not it. He is within us. It is an expression of what God is doing in our life. And sometimes I wonder that when we worship and we keep all of that pinned in, that we also don't let God and His presence so penetrate us and change us and move us to action. And maybe one reason 
why the world doesn't see the church doing so much. And it may be one reason that while we've had this, as Dr. Purcell said, this 40 years of a prayer movement going on, and we've seen the world continue to spiral out of control. And it may be one reason why churches are declining and not increasing. And I'm not talking about, again, actions that are automatic, that are insincere. I'm talking about letting God so move in us that we're so excited about what he's doing in the midst of us that we are praising him and we want to praise him because that will continue on through the week as we meet our neighbors and meet the needs of people with the gospel. The inward, the inwardness of spiritual feeling must be completed by outward expression of physical action. Either in the midst of worship or in the midst of the life that we live, that God is moving in our life, so I'm going to do something about it. That's my response to God. Paul stated to the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.8, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. That's what Paul said. You get the sense from that verse that lifting up the hands did not bring some kind of mystical movement of God. But brother, there was such a, a, a movement in the prayer time and the intimacy with God and the fellowship with God and His presence in their lives. They couldn't help but do that. Back when I was in uh, in seminary and, and I was pastoring in New Mexico and I was just flying back and forth from Dallas-Fort Worth to, to Albuquerque. Um, I took a side trip one time, went up to my parents' place up in Lindreth, New Mexico, which uh, is in the, the north, northwestern part of, of the state. A little, little community uh, at that time, mostly El Paso, natural gas. Um, my dad pastored a little church there, was a regional missionary. And so I got to Cuba. Some of you probably know where that is. And uh, outside of Cuba, a little ways, I thought, you know what? Man, I, I just want to get up on that mountain over there. And so I did. I took a side trip. There was the beginning of a road that I started down, or up, and uh, had my 1975 Ford Pinto, <laughs> light blue. <laughs> And the road ran out, and I kept going. And somehow, without getting stuck, I got to the top. I mean, it wasn't a tall mountain, but I got up to the very top of that. And there wasn't a parking space, so I just parked my car anywhere, you know. Nobody else probably had gone up there with a vehicle. And I just got out, and those zephyr winds were blowing. And I, my heart was invigorated with the presence of God there. I had one of the most memorable times of worship on top of that mountain with nobody around, nobody to inhibit me, just me and God. I did everything that we talked about here about praising God. I sang and I shouted and I read scripture. I lifted my hands. I sat 
You know, I, 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 I was just, the presence of God just so moved in my life. And there are times when life here gets really difficult. Not here, here, but just life. And my mind goes back to that place, that sanctuary. And all of a sudden, whatever is weighing on my heart and my shoulders, it just disappears because the same God who met me on that mountain meets me in the darkest valley I go in. There's every reason to be obsessed with God himself when God is all that you have. We've got to seek him for who he is, not what he can do for us. God alone deserves the universe's throne. Nobody else. He also deserves the throne of your life and your intimacy with him. And so this morning I'm challenging you to seek him to remember Him, to praise Him, to be obsessed with Him in the sense that you focus your entire attention upon Him and let Him guide you through the activities of life that He has for you. And see if it won't change your life. Father, as we move into our time of invitation, we just ask you to help us no matter what we're going through now or what we've been through or what we're going to go through in the future. That God, we would be obsessed by you. In the positive sense. Because there are a lot of times that you are all that we have. And so, I pray, God, for each person here this morning, we would commit ourselves to earnestly with our total being, as David says, our heart, our soul, our mind, that we would seek you and we would remember you and we would praise you with every aspect of who we are and that we would hear you and we would respond. And that response could be this morning, in some kind of commitment in the pew, or maybe a public commitment. But Father, far more important is the commitment between you and each one of us. And so this morning, help us not to leave without, we, without us being changed. And Father, when we do leave, help us to move that change into some kind of action that gives you honor and praise and glory alone with our life focused on you and you alone as the true Lord of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Please stand and sing our invitation. I'll be here at the front if God is calling you in some way. Hymn number 300 if you need the lyrics. <clears throat> With mountain, mountain, mountain.
ahead and be seated if you would. Um, Nancy's about to come and share some very important information with you, but I do want to let those who uh, signed up for the dinner fellowship groups uh, that uh, all the groups have been assigned, all those assignments been given to the group leaders. They should be contacting you. If you don't get contacted the next few days, then uh, make sure you call the office, okay? And we'll, uh, we'll connect you with them. And also, uh, check your emails. A lot of leaders send out emails and uh, to, uh, to let you know uh, what the next steps are. So make sure you check your emails, okay? All right. There's an insert inside your bulletin I would like to call your attention to. Your change can change a life. If you've gone through one of our lobbies this morning, you've seen the beautiful displays with several baby bottles on tables. And this brochure that's an insert in your bulletin today talks about that. I encourage you to pick up one or more baby bottles, fill it with loose change, even the folding quiet kind is nice. But if you would like to put coins in there, that's good too and return the filled baby bottles by Sunday the 25th of February. And that will go to assist one of our ministry partners, New Life Pregnancy Center. On the inside of your bulletin, you'll see an announcement about the spring fling. Yes, it will be spring before long. And on Sunday, March the 3rd at 5 p.m. in the CLC, we will be enjoying a fried chicken dinner and then have entertainment by a gospel singing ensemble, His Messengers. Next Sunday, in the small lobby, tickets go on sale for $15 each, and you will want to be part of that. So make your plans for March the 3rd. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see that our February movie is going to be War Room. Our emphasis on prayer, and this fits very, very well with that. Uh, February the 22nd on Thursday, Sign-ups are out there as well for today. Men's breakfast on Tuesday. Men, if you haven't signed up, you need to do that before you leave today so that there will be plenty of food. And Chuck Fowler is going to be doing a presentation about his safari trip, his and Luann's safari trip to Africa. You don't want to miss that. Tuesday at 8. All right. Uh, may I come, if you would. All right. This is Maitha uh, Brashear. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah I thought so, yeah. Uh, she is coming. She's been attending for, for a while now, and uh, this morning is coming uh, on her uh, statement of faith, having accepted Jesus Christ and being baptized by immersion, uh, to say, I want to be a part of this church. Uh, she said, I, man, I tell you what, I've been a Baptist for years, and uh, it's, good to, it's good to have you, have you back here. So all in favor of, of uh, accepting here, if you'd show that by the sign, aye, please. And against that? Okay, all right. You're in. <laughs> Listen, our folks are going to come around and going to give you the right hand of Christian fellowship in just a few moments, okay? And as they do that, uh, they're going to be saying two things. One, welcome to your church family. And secondly, they're going to be praying with you and working beside you in these days ahead, okay? Okay. Now, you're in a Bible study group. Is yeah. that right? Is that Wee's? Yeah, Wee, could you come and stand beside? Thank you so much. All right. She's going to come and stand right beside you. And uh, we're going to have our closing prayer. I would uh, just uh, encourage you, if you would, uh, to stand. And uh, as we leave today, let's uh, take what we, have, uh, what we have heard from Scripture 
and, and put into our uh, put into our practice this week. Okay. Let's pray together. <clears throat> thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you today. I also want to thank you for our, our pastor, especially, and all the church staff who lead us in worship every week faithfully. I want to lift up all the people in our church and the extended church family that are suffering from health issues that have great need of healing. Pray that you would heal them, bring them back to us. Pray that no matter what, that you would use their circumstances to draw them closer to you. They would seek you. I also want to lift up our nation and our state that you would give our leaders wisdom as to how to lead in a righteous way, that they would lead in a way that would benefit our hardworking citizens. I also pray for Israel, the nation of Israel. It's, it seems that they are always fighting for their lives against people who just want to destroy them. So. We know you are with them, they're your chosen people, and they will, you will not abandon them. So I want to lift them up as well. And finally, thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice for us. Apart from him, we, as the hymn just said, we can do absolutely nothing of significance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>